Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner. I'm a programmer at TIFFNOW, and this is The Other Thing I Do, and it's the 450th episode. My guest this week is Sean Gunn, an actor you may know from the specials, The Belko Experiment, The Terminal List, dozens of other things, really. Uh, He played Kirk Gleason on Gilmore Girls, and these days he's probably best known for his work on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, where he appears as the perpetually perplexed Ravager Kraglin and disappears into the role of Rocket, which he plays in motion capture. And you can see him, and not see him, in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in theaters everywhere right now. Sean chose Nashville, Robert Altman's sprawling 1975 drama about the entangled lives of several dozen people in Nashville, Tennessee, in the days leading up to a benefit concert for presidential candidate Hal Philip Walker. There's music, there's drama, there's sex and violence, there's more music, there's more everything. With a massive cast that includes Karen Black, Ronnie Blakely, Keith Carradine, Geraldine Chaplin, Shelley Duvall, Henry Gibson, Scott Glenn, Barbara Harris, Michael Murphy, Lily Tomlin, and Jeff Goldblum, it's a bustling, chaotic, overstuffed delight capturing a specific moment in American cultural history and shining a light on literally everything that's coming next. How do you cover a three-hour masterpiece in a half-hour recording window? You're about to find out. This is someone else's movie. First of all, I wanted to choose a movie that I love, of course, um, and I wanted to choose a movie that I've seen enough times that I feel like I could at least... uh, I don't know about speak about it intelligently, but as intelligently as I can, at least. Um, and something that um, that sort of has stuck with me for whatever reason. I, I've seen Nashville a number of times, and I should I should sort of start by saying that um, that the, the 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 little block of Altman movies in the in the first half of the seventies are among my favorite movies of all time, particularly uh, California Split and The Long Goodbye and um, McCabe and Mrs. Miller and Thieves Like Us and Nashville, um, MASH. I'm, 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 I always even f- forget some, but that, that little run of, of movies there, um, I just think is one of the most remarkable runs of storytelling of any um, auteur uh, really ever, but, but certainly in the 20th century. And, um, and I just think that... Um, that uh, I, all those movies are so unique. Um, we don't, unfortunately, we don't get to see as many movies like that anymore. There's not as any, um, you know, um, there's there's not enough movies like that. But anyway, I, 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 I'll uh, I'll sort of stop it there. That uh, that Nashville is, uh, Nashville sticks out to me just because of its its tremendous scope and um, the degree of difficulty. <laughs> Yeah, that's an excellent way to put it, actually, because watching it now, I, I did an episode of a friend's podcast, uh, Black Hole Films, on it just before the pandemic, because we saw it, we all, we all watched it together, and it was my mm-hmm. fifth or sixth time through it, I guess. Yeah. And watching the way he juggles storylines and literally integrates them and, and makes sure that we can understand where we are in the city, where we are in the story. Even there's a point around two hours in where the distance between characters is important briefly, just as, you know, will someone make mm-hmm. it to the airport and back? And it's, it's almost effortless. There's no need to be, you don't have to learn the visual geography, the confidence in the cinematography and the, and the editing, especially given, you know, like the long takes and the standing zooms and, and just the sheer breadth of activity 
Yeah. And then you factor in the fact that there are thousands of people in any given shot. Like it's teeming right. with extras and, and the coordination of that is a nightmare. It's so much. And, and to tell, to tell everyone's story in a way that it feels like there's some sort of, uh, you know, it feels like everyone's, everyone has their own voice, all, all of the, of the main characters. And I, I think there's 22 of them um, have their own voice and they, um, they each have their own story told in a unique way. And it, it's even, even to me, the, the crazier thing is that I remember before I saw it, um, somebody said to me, Oh, it's unbelievable. There's, there's 22 main characters and, and none of them is really any bigger than the other. And, and you watch it. And that's so true. It's like from a, I think you could probably say that from a plot perspective, Ronnie Blakely's character, Barbara Jean is sort of the most important character um, thematically, but she doesn't, her role isn't any bigger than any of the other actors roles are. Yeah. I mean, she's um, missing from the second act. She, she, yeah. she gets hospitalized briefly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and there's no, so no one is really, there's no lead character in the movie. It's all, it's, it's like an entire, um, I, I don't even, I, 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 I don't know what the word for it is, but it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's all intricately, it's an intricately, intricately woven piece of fabric. It's tapestry, it's really, right? That's, yeah, tapestry. yeah, that's what I was thinking of. It's, and, and in the middle of all of it, there's room to create theories about the characters that don't really factor, like, you know, um, Shelley Duvall and Jeff Goldblum, um, who are newly arrived scenesters, I think is the way we're supposed to, like, she, yeah. we, we actually watch Martha arrive, but, um, Tricycle Man or whatever he is, he's <laughs> like he could be the devil. He could be an angel. There's a, he has no dialogue and 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 all the presence in the world. And of course, because now it's Jeff Goldblum, it's like what the hell is Jeff Goldblum doing in this movie? It's so wild. I love it when you see when Jeff Goldblum, you know, pops up in like like Annie Hall, the, the right stuff or yeah, and these movies where it's like, wait, what? Goldblum got that on his resume too. And Nashville yeah. is almost the best example of that. I forget he's in it every time. I forget it's him because he doesn't yeah. speak, right? Like you don't uh -huh. have that characteristic yeah, yeah. thing. And, oh, and and Altman just weaves him into the fabric of it. It's, I mean, well, okay. I came to it a little bit late. I didn't see it until I was in my twenties because um, mm. it looked like garbage on VHS and right. I waited to see it in the theater. But when did you first see it? Would you, you were not old enough to have caught it on the first round. No, I'm not, I'm not quite old enough, but I, um, you know, I'm the youngest of six. Okay. And so I would get cross-contamination, um, just get hand-me-downs in terms of clothes. I also got them in movies and music and all sorts of pop culture. So I remember that when my, um, when my brother Brian was in college, um, he was studying film closely and we were all big, big movie buffs in my family. Mm -hmm. Um, but he just went on a little kick where he, he dove into, uh, dove into Altman movies and I'd never seen an Altman film. Um, I remember I, I knew, I knew films well enough that there was a book. There was a book about the great auteurs of the seventies. And I, I know that it was like, it was like, um, you know, Scorsese and Coppola and, um, and Altman. And I imagine Hal Ashby and, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to think who else would be in that list, but um, maybe even Spielberg, a bunch of, but a bunch of white dudes for sure. sure. But, the, uh, <laughs> but, um, 
but I remember Altman was the one who I didn't know at all. He was just the one whose movies I, I kind of came to last, but even still, I think when I was probably around 15, um, my brother was like, you got to see Nashville. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. And, uh, and I saw it for the first time then. So that's, you know, 30, whatever, 34 years ago, probably I saw it. And uh, I'm sure I've seen it at least a dozen times. Yeah. It's weird that a film that's so laden with meaning and, you know, it's a statement on America post Vietnam. It's a state where mm-hmm. like Vietnam was actively ending. The Watergate hearings were still going on. It was all still happening. Yeah. Um, but, but that it's, it's sort of, it presages gun culture and, and, you know, the whole Northern Southern yeah. divide on pop culture and it's still comfort food. That's what really surprises me is how easy it is. It's literally the title of the Oscar winning song, but it that's, is so easy to just sink into it. That's exactly. I, I agree completely with that, that it's that there's, there's all these themes um, running, running throughout the, the film. If you want to use it as a political statement, you can, or, um, or, or, or corruption or guns, as, as you say, um, I would I would even add too that it's it, it presages sort of modern um, like social media and things like that, and in all of the how everybody's getting recorded all the time, and they're always they're constantly um, obsessed with how they're going to be perceived when they're when they're being watched and when they're being recorded, which is a very modern um, modern theme, and yet as you say. It, you don't have to really t- care about any of that if you don't want to. If you want to just watch the movie and 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 meet all these interesting characters and get into the story of these characters and what happens to them, it completely works on that level as well. It's able to do both things, and that's why the that's that's the main that's the meat right there. If you can do both those things at once, I think you've, you're you're pretty close to a masterpiece. Yeah, I think it's the closest an American filmmaker has ever come to something like the rules of the game, where, mm. you know, everyone has their reasons. It's it's simplistic and reductive, but that really is it. There's no one in the film that isn't acting out of self-interest, even people who, you know, at the end, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on the character's name. When uh, Winifred grabs the mic and takes the stage, it, it's not an Altamont moment. She's not trying to calm the crowd. Really, this is her her chance, right? No, I know she's, um, she, she in some way, I mean, what, first of all, what a transcendent moment it is that when she finally gets to sing and she just like tears the roof off the, I mean, it's like that it's, it's such a glorious moment and it's so sad at the same time, but, uh, how it's so great when she gets up and sings at the end, but yeah, she's not, um, there's almost something altruistic about that. She's not just trying to be not trying to be seen it's like her it's 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 the best part of being an artist when you're you're giving something of yourself um i think the same the same is true for for haven hamilton who's the henry gibson character who we've we've seen all along he's got these political aspirations and he he seems pretty pompous um he's a generally unlikable character but at the very end of the movie when he gets he gets shot himself and all he cares about is making sure that everyone else is okay. He's not, he, he, in that moment, he's not obsessed with himself and what's going on in his own life. It's like a great little mini redemption moment 
Um, and the whole, the movie is littered with all kinds of stuff like that. And of course it's an assassination attempt, which is prefiguring taxi driver and Reagan and all these, like right. this, it's all coming. That's what I mean. Like in the moment it feels well, watching it, watching it feels like for all the rustic folksy affectation, because you're seeing an exaggerated version of Southern culture, right? Like this is performance, uh, especially on stage, the songs are old and, and of questionable origin and the new songs are challenging, you know, the history of American music by pushing back against it. And, and generally the new songs are either pastiches or something like, um, like I'm easy, which is just a, a confessional. Like Tom Frank is just mm-hmm. trying to launch himself by singing about the truth about his, like being an actual truth teller. And it makes him a singer songwriter. You know, right. in today's parlance, but it's predicting, it's not predicting the future. It's so progressive in its presentation. Like it's aware of all of the artifice. And that's like, that was always Altman's greatest strength was, was kind of cutting through the pretense that people put up, you know, think about the long goodbye where, mm-hmm. you know, we immediately know who the villains are because they're just the most loathsome people, but they carry themselves like, like swells because they have money to protect them or, or mash, which is a straight up campus comedy, just transposed into the Korean war, uh, yeah. slobs and snobs and all that. But, but Nashville is the one it's the outlier in, in his work because its vision is so, I don't even have a word for it. I would, I would like, I would call it, idealism and from mm-hmm. a filmmaker who was very often a, like a, a raging cynic. Uh, and this one doesn't feel so confident about America, but it feels good about Americans. If that makes sense. Like it feels like the oh, individuals totally. are going to save it. I think so too. And it, it is like, it's, 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 that's, that's when, when, uh, when Alman is at his best, I think is when he's um, being really sort of, there's there's something really cynical about um, the way that the people view their their world that they live in, but it's not cynical about about the people themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and that they're that they're all. It's like any it's like anybody they all want something and they want something better for themselves and it's it's really just um, uh, it's a magic trick in a way I think I, I don't know how. I don't know how Altman pulled pulled it off. I don't know how he he pulled those things off where he takes this movie that that is about as ambitious as anything you'll see and it flows so easily. It's so uh it's so easy. It seems like it seems it, it you know, in one way it's this epic, you know, nominated for all these Oscars and things like that. And in another it seems like a movie that he got a bunch of his friends and a in a you know super eight made in a weekend or something like that it's amazing hey it's norm interrupting my own show to bring you up to speed on shiny things my twice weekly newsletter about physical media culture and the odd streaming project last week i wrote about criterion's new editions of targets and petit maman IRO Video's release of the lost John Woo action or Hand of Death, and Film Movement's restoration of Shohai Mimura's Warm Water Under a Red Bridge, and also Cocaine Bear, Creed 3, and Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at shiny-things.ghost.io, or find a link at the Semcast Twitter account. You like reading about movies? I like writing about them. Come check it out. 
Uh, this is exactly the right time to introduce Joan Tewksbury, who we hadn't mentioned, right. but who, as the screenwriter, as the sole credited screenwriter, is the architect, literally the blueprint of this thing. Um, and her work with Altman specifically has this generous heart that doesn't always appear in his other, like Thieves Like Us, for example, which is right. a depression era movie that isn't cynical and is like kind of weirdly optimistic, even though everyone is having the worst possible time. That's her, I think. And here yeah. she pulls the same thing out of the music industry in Nashville. Yeah. Um, and I know that she, I, I, I know that Altman did what he, he, he usually did at that time, which was he took, he took the script and used it as a, as, as a blueprint um, sort of for, for the scenes. Um, but um, what, what a magnificent way to make movies. It's like, I, it's like nowadays it, you, you can't, it's, it's almost hard to write an original screenplay and um, you, you can't write a big budget movie. That's not based on some other kind of IP um, sure. just about. And, um, and, and, unless you're one of very few people in Hollywood, but um, how excellent that, that Joan Tewksbury just had an idea to make a movie set in Nashville. And so Altman thought that was a pretty good idea too. So he just sent her to Nashville for a few months to kind of like get a lay of the land and, and get some sense of what about the city would be interesting as a set piece. And then she just started writing and they start to put it together. And, the, um, and, uh, and I, you know, her, her I, 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 I believe the, uh, 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 Geraldine Chaplin character uh, Opal is, um, is is sort of loosely based on Joan Tewksbury, although I don't know how how flattering Joan would find that, considering Opal's a bit of a um, I don't know, she's a bit of a wild card, but uh, but <laughs> yeah, and and the the fact that she's this kind of outsider coming in and, and getting the, the the lay of the land, um, it's uh, it's cool. Yeah, her her basically her tour, her her notes, her tour notes become the structure as I yeah. understand it, which again is incomprehensible to me because following one person through, through one weekend would be difficult enough, but she was there for months. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we also, uh, while you're, as you're talking about the writing of the film, it's, it's important to point out that, um, that all of the songs, which are such a massive portion, if you add the, the, the performances of the, of the songs, if you add that up, I think it's almost an hour of, of the movie is, is just the songs. And yeah, I wouldn't um, be surprised. And uh, they, um, and, you know, a lot, in most cases, the actors wrote their own songs that they were performing, or a couple of the actors wrote multiple songs um, for other people. And again, what a magnificent way to, um, to tell a story collaboratively with, um, you know, from the writer to the filmmaker to the, the actors, um, to, to, for them to be able to kind of dig in and understand what, 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 what their characters would sing about. And that part of the participation, again, is uh, really unique and really excellent. Every time I watch it, I try to figure out if Hal Philip Walker's monologues mm -hmm. are songs themselves, like if they function the same way. <laughs> They don't move the plot forward exactly, but they create the context. And after a while, it sounds like the music that we're hearing is pushing against the messaging, like the mm -hmm. nativism, that the subtle nativism that's coming out there, because he sounds like a Nixon guy who's learned to be a little more smooth. It's hard to tell. I mean, he's clearly right wing, but he yeah. also 
doesn't say anything. Like the, there's no content no. in most of it. No, it's a lot of word salad. His uh, his uh, his monologues, and and I remember, um, you know, I remember in uh, I guess it would have been 1992 when when Ross Perot came around for yeah. the first time. I remember talking to my my brother and being like, "Is is Ross Perot Hal Philip Walker?" You know, there's some. I, he wasn't quite as right wing, but there's definitely some of that folksy populism that uh, it was very similar between those two characters. Something eerie about that guy, about yeah. Walker. You know, yeah, it's it's well. I mean, with the fact that we never see him is just genius because yeah, he's like a cloud, and the van keeps showing up. The van, and I guess the van and Tricycle Man do cross paths a couple of times. And I'm, you know, some part of some organizational aspect of my brain is trying to figure out: Does that mean something? Is it there? Like when they are together, does something happen? Is it an angel on a shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder, or is it just you know something that Altman thinks is funny? This tiny guy on a on a bicycle versus a giant truck that won't stop yelling. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it means. If there's some sort of larger meaning, or if it's if it's just like that the that um, that echo of politics, that sort of annoying background noise of politics is is inescapable like it's going to find you wherever you are you know yeah, literally white noise in this case right but then you've got people singing quiet little songs about love and trust and and the stuff that that walker's just not talking about i mean i i don't want to we only have so much time but i don't want to leave out keith carradine who i mean he's he's wonderful He's he's oh he's so good at suggesting the the, the faults and shortcomings of, of Tom, but at the same time, you understand who like you get why he's the star. You get why he is the center of this trio that's broken up and why he mm-hmm. he has to go solo. There's an entire arc of his life that shows up before the like it happened before the movie started. He shows up carrying it. And he does it so casually that it's it's almost remarkable they're they're you know david carradine makes bound for glory the following year and Mm -hmm. is so good at disappearing into woody guthrie that i briefly forgot that it wasn't keith because i mean in my head like keith is a singer david carradine didn't do that and then of course like no it's just a different kind of acting but that performance you know he wins the oscar for the song which i find fascinating but it's i think it probably is the greatest work he's ever done it's just incredible yeah, he's so good in those. And I mean, I love him in, in those. Uh, I love him in Thieves Like Us, and I love him in McCabe and Mrs. Miller as well. Sure. You know, he's so good at is that, like, that kind of... And those roles are so different. Oh, my God. Yeah. So if you watch McCabe and Mrs. Miller, and it's just like this aw shucks, young, you know, same thing in Thieves Like Us. is like really sort of naive guy. And then you see the the darkness in, in, uh, in Tom and in uh nashville oh my god what range that guy shows but that song i'm easy is a magnificent magnificent work in the and the um and the way to hear it is the way he performance performs it in the movie there was they you know they uh they tweaked it and did a version that ended up on on the radio but it's yeah, a single and it just kind of misses the it, it misses the magic of of seeing it um in the actual movie but uh but that that scene where he's singing that song. Another great example of, of what the movie manages of the magic trick that the movie 
manages to pull off is that you tell the, the scene is the song, you know? So you, 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 Alvin's able to tell the entire story of what's going on with those three or four different women who are there who yeah. all think that they're, that he's singing to them. And he tells it with the lyrics and with, um, and, and with what we're looking at so that this, so that you don't need any sort of other scene there that it's already telling the story um, that needs to be told just through, just through the music and the visuals. And, um, and it's just perfect. I, I, that's one of the best. I think that's one of the, one of the great scenes in, in like seventies cinema period. I wonder if it's because it makes us complicit, like because we're being shown something that no other character Tom knows, but none of the women does. And we get to know that with him, like we're sharing that secret with, the character and the singer and that puts us in a position of not power exactly but but we're heightened or like our connection to the if you don't connect to the movie in that moment the movie has lost you and the placement of it in the film is at such a point where we've been drifting along with it with the movie in its wake just sort of following it and then all of a sudden you're trapped in this intimate space and you know something mm-hmm. and you see the secret play out yeah yeah you're in on the secret um it's really great and in some ways you could probably say that it's possible that lily tomlin's character linnea is is uh she might be in on the secret too it's like she knows she she's aware of something know everything but she knows she's wiser than those other than than the other uh possible love interests are that are there in the in the club she's wiser than they are and uh and so there we we also relate to her in that way. Um, I agree with you. If you if you get to that point in the movie and you think you're just hearing another song and you're not you're not understanding everything that's going on, I, I don't think it's the movie's probably not for you. Oh, you can't save everybody. But yeah. um, oh my god, it's so much fun to watch that film with an audience and, and feel it play people. You know, I've never seen it in in a theater. Oh wow, I've, I, I've, I've seen I've it only, twice. I think I I wanted to I. I uh, I was in Chicago when they did a um, they did an Altman retrospective in a theater, and I just for whatever reason I wasn't able to see that one. I saw "Come Back to the Five and Dime" and you know, on the big screen, and um, that'd be nice, and and a couple others. I don't know if you know California Split, but California Split yep. is uh, about my uh, damn near my favorite movie of all time. And uh, full disclosure, I talked about it on a different podcast, so that's the reason I did. <laughs> I I didn't choose that one. No, but, I appreciate uh, that. I, I yeah, yeah, it's it's happened a couple of times where people have done the same thing on other shows, and it's just like mm, I know you have a tight twenty, but come on. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I I, I uh, but the, you know, there's so many, there's so many. Wait, that that's an interesting thing about choosing a movie for this um, for this show is that, and and you must feel like you can talk about any any film with anybody. Um, particularly if they're really into it, but I kind of had a hard time thinking about because as, as much as there are hundreds of movies that I love, there's very few that I love enough to just to just talk about for for a long for a good long chunk of time. I mean, you know, I, it's like it's like I guess I could talk about uh, Jaws or ET or one of the like classics of all time. You can, but but I, it would be hard for me to know what I could say that hasn't, I don't know. 
No, that's a thing that comes up a lot. People get in their own heads about what they could possibly contribute. And right. the point is, I want to know how it affects you and, and why it means something yeah. to you. So it always comes around and it always works. But yeah, it's great when it's something that people feel they need to talk about. Yeah. And, and I think that it's just to even sort of answer that for myself about Nashville, a lot of it for me is just, it's just, I, I've, I've always come, come at acting from the point of view that, um, you know, that you're, you shouldn't be an actor if you think that you're special. You should be an actor if you think other people are special. And that that's what, that the whole idea that, that you, you lose yourself in trying to tell someone else's story. And that, that for me as a performer, that I would be able to maybe understand more about the human condition or more about the people that I'm sharing the planet with um, through my work. Like that's what appeals to me about doing uh, about just the doing of it and, and having this job that I have. Um, And so there's, there's something about how, like Altman's light touch with characters that I'm, I'm always drawn to that. I want to see how is he, how is he doing this so subtle? And he gets such magnificent performances out of, out of people consistently all the time. It's all, you know, you, you can watch Nashville and, and some of the, some of the people in that movie are, aren't even really actors or aren't even, um, or, or barely had much of a career beyond what we see of them. And yet, it almost looks like you're watching a documentary at times. It's all so, it's all so truthful. Um, and so I don't know something about being truthful about what people are like, not being overly cynical and not being overly optimistic, but just trying to be as truthful as possible about humans and the human condition. That's what this movie really does for me when I watch it. Um, it reminds me of how, that can be done um, beautifully. I've always believed that people get into acting either because they're intensely curious about other people or because they desperately don't want to be themselves. Like they Mm -hmm. need to be somebody else for a little while. Mm -hmm. And for the former, it absolutely makes sense that you'd be drawn to Altman because that's all he does is he's an observant director. Um, Danny Boyle once said that his thing is to treat actors, treat characters rather as specimens and follow them and watch them and see if they come apart. But Altman, I don't know that he roots for that. I think he knows the system will grind them down, but he wants to see them survive. He wants to see how they navigate that world. Like this is almost an anthropological study in its Mm -hmm. scale. You're looking at a society, you're looking at an entire town, hence the title, but everybody's singing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. It's true. It is a, it, it is one of those movies. that's kind of, it's, it's kind of about everything um, to some degree, which uh, you know, and if you're uh, if, if, if you're a young filmmaker, my advice to you is don't try to make a movie that's about everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's uh, let it, let that, let you know let yourself find that over the over time um but i don't i don't think altman is you know i I don't know that he is trying to make a movie about everything it's just it's just kind of how he it's just kind of where he ends up landing yeah he leaves room for everything that's Mm -hmm. his thing yeah yeah well put 
My thanks to Sean Gunn, who you can see playing Kraglin and Rocket in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in theaters everywhere right now. Thanks also to Joelle Onokuberi. She knows what she did. You can find Sean on Twitter at Sean Gunn, all one word, and you can find Nashville on Blu-ray and DVD in the Criterion Collection and in a Paramount Home Entertainment edition as well. It's also available to rent or buy on various VOD platforms. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the show is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 44 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, get your booster when you can. I'll see you next week.